Hey, what's going on, people? This is your humble correspondent, John Ross Marcus Cox, coming back at you with the Way Too Much JRMC podcast. Hope everybody's had a great week and uh, excited about getting into your Labor Day weekend here. So, but I'm going to jump right into this today's show and do something like this. I don't necessarily do a ton of on the podcast here, but you know, I do a lot of reading and read a lot of articles and that kind of thing, but I'm actually going. I'm going to dive into the Bible a little bit here for a second. Everybody just hang with me here for a second. So this, is, this is Romans chapter 12, right, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and, per- and the perfect will of God. Then I'm going to jump back in here into Proverbs for a second. This is Proverbs 21, verse 31. All right? it, says, it says, A horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. So I'll read those two verses to you to, to tell you this. One thing I see happening out in society, whether people are doing it because they're Christian or not, okay? It doesn't matter. But I see people everywhere I go, talk to people every day, where I can tell they are tired, absolutely fed up with the ways of our current world, our current culture, our current society, just the lackadaisical nature, the failure, the failure to recognize just the sim- the most simple truths known to man a failure to have any kind of like fundamental step by step guidelines processes put in place for people to 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 learn how to live the right way i see people getting t- tired of it i also see people like myself trying to get out there into into society and <laughs> trying to blaze the trail a little bit. All right, but here's the problem. So many of those people that are tired of it are the ones that are the least prepared to lead us to the next step of things. And I'll, I'm going to throw myself into that into that category of people. And so that's where the second verse there that a horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord comes into play because here's, here's the thing. We're all called to do something by whoever our maker, whoever we think our maker is. And we're, we either decide, we either decide to answer that call and do what's, do what is needed, what is necessary, or we don't. And we live a very, uh, very sad life, you know, and we end up hooked on drugs or dead or in jail or whatever, all those societal ills. Okay, but to my last point about me not being prepared to do it or not being the right person to do it, another verse, this is Mark chapter 13, verse 11. 
says, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at that time. For it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. And people, I'm going to tell you right now, I, ho- I wholly believe, believe that, that verse right there. The last two-year journey I've been on has been nothing short of spectacular and miraculous as far as I'm concerned. Because I had no business being in the rooms I've been in, doing the things I've been doing. And I can tell you right now, for damn sure, there were times I would be talking to people and saying things to legislators. And when I, and people would call me that I've been trying to get a hold of, but I had no idea how to get a hold of them. I'd be in meetings and somebody asked me a question and some stuff would just come out my mouth that I didn't even, I'd be like, I don't even know what I just said. Okay, but all along the way, and what got me started in politics was basically my wife asking me, one question. She didn't use these same words, in it, and this was in response to masking kids during sporting events and that kind of thing. Okay, but this, but this is basically the general premise of what she asked me. Where are all the damn men at? She said, John, I thought I married a crazy redneck that was going like, defend our family and fight for us and fight for kids and fight for what's right and fight for what is good and put his life on the line. I don't feel like you're doing that. And I broke down and just said, you know, baby, I love you. You're right and I'm I'm back. I'm here. And I've been on a crusade for two years now. (coughs) But it was, this isn't something that just happened with me. And her question wasn't an isolated question and the more I dig into this the more I see that's our fundamental problem in our world in our culture in our society today is men are nowhere to be found or they're there screaming out for help or screaming for someone to tell them how to help but they have no idea how to help or they're so far down a rabbit hole they can't humble themselves to just call spade a spade tell everybody how screwed up they're shit is, their life is, and move forward. Well, I'm hoping this whole two-part series I'm about to do will inspire at least a couple men to step up and realize that a lot of the shit I'm going to talk about, it's not my, it wasn't my fault, it wasn't your fault, it wasn't their fault. It just is what it is. But life takes what it takes. We either man up now, try to right these wrongs, or stuff's going to fall apart. We control our own destiny here. So I'm going to start out here. Let's read it. This is from an article from the Institute for Family Studies here. It says, part of this problem is attributable to the shifting character of family life in America. We know that children with absent fathers are less likely to thrive on a variety of measures of academic, professional, and social success. Even for those with present fathers, like many here at University of Virginia, that's where they're writing this article, many young men have not been given clear guidance from their dads about how to navigate relationships and develop a clear identity as a man. While today's fathers are better equipped to help their children navigate school and work, they are less adept when it comes to preparing young men for dating, relationships, and marriage. More than anything, this growing body of directionless men indicates that the institutions which used to give shape and meaning to their lives are not as powerful as they once were. Churches, schools, and even families are less likely to, to give clear and compelling guidance to young men as they prepare for adulthood. And that has also largely been my experience. Churches, 
since the late 90s, Protestant and otherwise, have been raising up some sissy boys. We talk about feelings all the time. We talk about this all the time. And little girl, little boys, it's okay if you're feminine, you must be a girl, all this stuff. Like, it's been, going, it's been being perpetuated for 20, 25, 30 years, even in the institutions that are supposed to be protecting us, our churches, our schools. And that's why you're seeing so much animosity towards the public school system right now, I believe. But it's also why I think you're seeing a resurgence in our Christian community to like get a grip back on how they how we instruct young boys or young, young men out there on how to become men. Sorry about that call. And that, but it's also why you've been seeing such a such a increase in gang related activity in the inner cities. Why why it's so hard it's so hard for people to understand. Why little boys want to join gangs? Well, when the gang is the only people, is the only group of older dudes giving you any sense of purpose or vision or mission for your life, what tell us you're supposed to do? I talked. To, I said on, on a previous podcast. Basically, all boys are looking for three questions to be answered on any given on any given day. Who's with me? Who's in charge? And what's our mission? If we have those three things answered, hey, let's ride, mount up, baby. Hoorah. But nope, no one's wanted to give us that for the last 30 plus years in this country because it's about like, well, we trust kids to know what they want. You know, like kids know what's best for themselves. Or you got single moms raising young boys. And guess what? Moms ain't damn dads. So they don't even know. They can't know what they don't know. So let's go. This is another article from what did I say it was Institute for Family Studies. It says American fathers are today more removed from family life than ever before in our society, wrote sociologist David Popino in his path-breaking book Life Without Father. And according to a growing body of evidence, this massive erosion of fatherhood contributes mightily to many of the major social problems of our time. Popino wrote th- these words more than 25 years ago. This assessment remains as relevant in 2022 as it was in 96. The decline of marriage and the rise of fatherlessness in America remain at the center of some of the biggest problems facing the nation. Crime and violence, school failure, deaths of despair, which we're talking about today, children in poverty. The predicament of the American male is of particular importance here. The percentage of boys living apart from their biological father has almost doubled since 1960. From about 17% to 32% today. Now, an estimated 12 million boys are growing up in families without their biological father. Specifically, approximately 62.5% of boys under 18 are living with an intact biological family. So almost almost 4 out of 10 are not with their intact biological family. So 1.7% are living with a step family with their biological father and step or adoptive mother. 4.2% are living with their single biological father, and then 31.5% are living in a home without their biological father. I fall into that latter category. So I didn't have a father figure around at all, really, until I was like 10 years old. Then my stepdad stepped in, and he's an awesome dude. But again, like, blood is blood. No matter how good your stepdad is to you, you're always going to 
be thinking in your head like, damn, I must suck if my own daddy button couldn't stick around for me. Lacking the day-to-day -day involvement, guidance, and positive example of their father in the home and the financial advantages associated with having him in the household, these boys are more likely to act up, lash out, flounder in school, and fail at work as they move into adolescence and adulthood. Even though not all fathers play a positive role in their children's lives, on average, boys benefit from having a present and involved father. Duh. Let's jump back into the Word of God for a second. I know some of y'all, it's going to annoy you, but... So, for those that don't know, the book of Proverbs can almost be looked at just like uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditations. It's literally a, a father that also happens to be a king writing down little snippets of wisdom for his sons in the event that he passes away. So this is Proverbs twenty two, fifteen. Foolishness is bound to the heart of a youth. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. Proverbs twenty three, thirteen. Don't withhold discipline from a youth. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod, and you will rescue his life. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will indeed rejoice. My innermost being will celebrate when your lips when your lips say what is right. And then this is Mark chapter 9, verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. say all those things to tell you a couple things. Number one, rules, regulations, guidelines, guiding principles are not the same thing as uh, being a dictator, an authoritarian. Like you're not making, we can't look at these things as making kids do stuff. Here's, here's the kids want, they want to know and they can't know what they don't know. And it'd be, it's be, it would be better for us to tie millstone around our neck and jump into the ocean than it would be to live a life where we know what to tell our kids and we don't tell them. Problem is right now, most, most dads don't know what to tell them when they, if they are around or they're just not around. So I'm going to show you a couple things on this, uh, in this article. Okay, so it's a couple of charts. So here's one percentage of young men who graduated from college at ages 28 to 34 by, by father presence. So 35% of young men graduated from college if their biological father was present. Only 14% of boys without a biological father in their home graduated from college. Percentage of young men who are idle at ages 25 through 29, so not working, not looking, for, not looking for a job, not in college, not in a serious relationship, not married. So only 11% of young men with a biological father present were idle, whereas 19% were idle without a biological father present. Then here's a big one. Percentage of young men who've been arrested or incarcerated by father presence. If there, was, if there was a biological father present, 
21% had ever been arrested by ages 15 to 19, which is still sad. Without a biological father present, ages 15 to 19, 31% had been arrested. Okay, and if there was a, if there, if there was a biological father present, the, num, the percentage of young men that had been incarcerated, so not just arrested, but actually incarcerated between ages of 28 and 34 was 10%. Whereas it was 21% if there wasn't a biological father present. So it doubles. All right, so we all know this. We all know this is a problem, right? We've all, I, I think we all admit that. We've all, I mean, everybody's heard the horror stories. Everybody knows someone whose dad died of a drug overdose or was in a gang, got shot, or is in prison, or just never was around, was a deadbeat dad, and owns child, owes child support, all that. Here's my question I want to pose. Where the hell are all these sons of bitches? Where are, where, where are all the men? Well, I'm going to focus on two things in a two-part series. First one, today, we're going to talk about where's all the white daddies? Because this, this ain't a black problem. We like to talk about it that way a lot of times. But this is not a black, this is not a black dad problem. This is, a, this is a daddy problem. Full stop. This is an article by Matt Walsh with the Daily Wire. Entitled, Traditional Masculinity is the Solution to the, to the Male Loneliness Epidemic, Not the Cause. For some reason, you're still holding out hope that some of the public health experts you see all the time in the national news media actually care about the public or health. Consider the story that did not dominate the news cycle this week. Here's the headline. 49,449 Americans killed themselves last year. The data just came in a few days ago. That's the highest number of suicides ever recorded in this country's history. <clears throat> For those, those of y'all who have been listening to my show or know me personally, You know, this is a particular interest to me, to me, because my dad died of a, what we call a death of despair, which which is which runs rampant in the white daddy community. So my dad died of a drug overdose when I was ten. Very high likelihood that it was a drug that was a drug induced suicide. He was a classic example of Appalachian opioid. Opi you know, fatality, statistic, whatever you want to call him. <clears throat> if you viewed that as a problem worth solving as quickly as possible, as any decent person would, then you'd dive much deeper into the data. You'd want to know who is exactly committing all these suicides. You'd want to know their age, sex, race, occupation, and so on. And then you'd present your findings honestly as a starting point to address the problem. But no one from any major media outlet or public health institution is doing that. They're not even trying. Instead, we're getting quick hit reports like this one from Good Morning America. What the doctor tells us is that veterans, physicians, and LGBTQ youth are particularly at risk. She doesn't delve more deeply into the numbers, though, and neither does anyone else in that segment, which lasts less than two minutes. You have to wonder if that's deliberate, because there's a certain demographic group that's somehow missing from the ones the doctor mentioned there. Notice he said veterans, physicians, and LGBTQ youth. It's a, demogra it's a demographic group that commits suicide at a far higher rate than any other and has for many years. 
men. Last year, men accounted for roughly 80% of suicides, 50,000 of them, which means they accounted for 40,000 of them. Let me say that again, 80%. Men living in rural areas were particularly vulnerable. As of the latest data, men working in the professions of mining, quarrying, and oil, oil and grass extraction, oil, oil, I'm saying oil, for all you yuppies listening, have the single highest per capita suicide rate in the country at more than 54 deaths per 100,000 men. Construction is the next highest category. Ask yourself why Good Morning America made special mention of LGBT youth and physicians, but forgot to mention that nearly all the suicides are men and blue-collar men in, in particular are at the highest risk. And I'll dig down one more thing, one more drill down into the, uh, what do they call it? Inner, the intertwined, uh, oh my gosh, the identity, intersectional identity politics. Let's read that again. 80% were men living in rural areas that work in mining, quarrying, quarry, quarrying, and oil and gas extraction, and then construction. What segment of the population is that? It ain't just men. It's white men. It's white dudes from rural America. That's why Good Morning America isn't mentioning it because they don't give a shit about white dudes. You'd hate to think that media producers in New York don't want you to hear about the fact that men are killing themselves. You'd like to believe they care about miners or oil and gas workers and not just physicians, but that doesn't appear to be the case. Most outlets are doing exactly what Good Morning America did, and they're right up on the data. For example, Reuters didn't mention the difference between male and female suicide rates at all. Instead, they implied in the second paragraph of their article that the problem is not enough gun control. That's another reason they don't give a damn about the white men that are killing themselves. Because they hate that white men don't support gun control. The real problem, according to Reuters, is that you haven't given the Democratic Party more power. This is a very dumb conclusion to draw. First, because it's an assault on our constitutional rights. But also because getting rid of guns would simply eliminate one of the dozens of possible ways for a suicidal person to commit suicide. It would not do anything to address the fact that he is suicidal in the damn first place. Guns, pills. I know, I know of dudes that have tried killing themselves drinking damn antifreeze. I know a dude that jumped off a bridge trying to kill himself. He did it unsuccessfully. Okay, but it's like, it's not just guns. Guns are just the, you know, one of the quicker, simpler, less painful ways of uh, doing it and the, and the way that's less likely to end in you living and being a vegetable and having people have to take care of it for the rest of your, rest of your time on the planet. This is a long-standing trend in the media. Scour through the last year of coverage on suicide rates in this country, and you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone talking about how many men are killing themselves. Again, I'll specifically say how many white men are killing themselves. 
To the extent you, f- you do find any reports on men committing suicide, it's always filtered s- through some forced lens of racial equity and Black Lives Matter. Here are just a few examples from recent months. There's an epi- epidemic of suicides by black men, the media insists. Is that true? Here are the numbers from the CDC. To the extent you can trust them, last year, white Americans accounted for more than 37,000 suicides. while black Americans accounted for a little over 3,800. Accounting for population differences, that means white people are killing themselves at roughly twice the rate of black people. That's in keeping with data we have going back the past few years, data that's widely known. In 2017, the New York Times ran a whole story about how black people were about one-third as likely to kill themselves as white people. Of course, the Times suggested there was some unknown flaw in the data that explained the disparity. They hand-waved it away. Now, here's the deal. The same way there are drugs of choice that it, I don't know the reason for it, but the same way uh, marijuana is the drug of choice for blacks and alcohol is the drug of choice for whites, black dudes, for the most part, aren't dumbasses going out and killing themselves. That's, that's, that affliction is primarily reserved for people of my skin pigmentation pigmentation it is going out and often themselves and again that's actually a positive thing they like it's like if they're not going to go out and rag on white dudes and say hey white dude y'all are idiots killing yourselves say it through a positive light hey black dudes thank y'all for being smart and not being dumbasses like white dudes and going out and pumping your body full of pills or putting a pistol in your throat and blowing your brains out. Thank you. But they won't do that. They have some ulterior motive. What's going on here? Why are so many media outlets unwilling to talk honestly and directly about the suicide rate afflicting men in this country? Whatever the reason, they're not just hiding data on suicide rates. They also rarely talk about the other obvious, verifiable signs that men are suffering in this country in ways that they have never before. Approximately 70% of homeless people are men. And the total number of homeless people in this country has more than doubled in the last three decades. Meanwhile, men are far more likely than women to use and overdose virtually on every illicit drug that exists. The number of those of these overdose overdoses has increasingly dramatically has increased dramatically in just the past 20 years. So in nineteen ninety nine. Out of about 20,000 overdose deaths, about 80% of them were men. But there was right at 20,000, a little under 20,000. In 2021, that had increased from 20,000 to damn near 120,000. And again, they might tell me the exact number if I look flip over to the next page. I don't think so. But again, you're looking at about 85,000 of those deaths. I'm sorry. Yeah, about 85,000 of those 106,699 deaths were males. Look at this chart. Fewer than 20,000 people overdosed in 99. 2021, the number was over 100,000. Men account for the vast majority of these deaths. Women are nowhere close. 
Along the same lines, young men report that they're single at more than twice the rate of young women. Statistics concerning unhappiness and depression are similar. We all know that men are far more likely to end up in prison, to drop out of school, to fall victim to violent crime. What's causing this? Is it random statistical noise? Is it some combination of globalization, feminism, Me Too, and modern monetary theory? No one seems to care, which tells you a lot. To find anyone talking honestly about these problems and what's causing them, you have to turn to YouTube personalities. There it is. Hello. Hey, everybody. For example, here's one YouTube channel's attempt to address what's happening to men in this country. This person begins by talking about social media, the rise of dating apps, and the decline of the economy, among other factors. Here's, the, here's her conclusion. Her, her conclusion. A her, a she, a woman, a girl, is trying to tell the world why men are suffering all these societal ills. Now, obviously, we're not going to listen to the clip. It says, there's a lot of truth to what she's saying, obviously. And that video has 1.5 million views in just the last week. You can tell that people are desperate to find answers to this problem, but they can't look to the corporate media to provide it, or even to acknowledge that the problem exists. What this YouTuber, who goes by the name of Shoe on Hand, at least my name ain't, um, ain't stupid like that, talks about <clears throat> would go a long way towards explaining the rise of despair, loneliness, and listlessness among men. But she ends her video without offering any solution. So what is the solution exactly? Walsh is going to say. That's where this conversation really starts to break down. To show what I mean, here's one corporate media outlet that is willing to acknowledge some of the struggles men face. But the prescription they offer is downright terrible. It would be hilarious if the issue wasn't so dire. The article from the Washington Post, written by a woman, of course, is impressive in one sense, which is that it manages to reach exactly the wrong diagnosis on every single aspect of the problem. The article is called, Men's groups are embracing an alternative conception of American masculinity. The whole thing reads like parody. So if you're able to, if you're able to check it out immediately. I can't recommend it highly enough. The Washington Post wants, you, wants to give us the real story about why men are lonely and how to best combat the epidemic. What's their suggestion, he says? They say dudes should lie around doing breathing exercises and smelling incense while some guy named Rua gropes them and whispers stuff like this. I invite you to maybe bring up an intention, how you want to live in this world, how you want to love in this world, how you want to be in this world. Now, I want everybody to stop for a second and imagine any of the dudes in your life that would actually do that. I want you all to think about the, one of the hood. Close your eyes and think of the hoodest, the hoodest ass dude you know and imagine him doing breathing exercises and smelling incense and letting another, letting another dude grope him and take him through these, this mental exercise. Picture the redneckest person you know. Very well, maybe me. Close your eyes, picture me doing breathing exercises, smelling incense while some dude's groping me and, t and putting me through a mental exercise of, uh, about love and how I want to live in this world. Walsh says, that's not an exaggeration. It's a direct quote from the article. The men's groups that the article profiles are not Bible studies or flag football leagues. They are new age, touchy-feely group hugs where men learn how to get in touch with their feminine side. Later in the session, the men start screaming and sobbing and letting their emotions flow freely as they are released into the darkness. The article goes on to quote a bunch of experts who all say the familiar things about how men are lonely and lost because of toxic, toxic masculinity. 
that encourages us to be too stoic and reserved and so forth. It laments the cowboy mentality that has allegedly contributed to the problem. The masculinity expert who coined that phrase is a woman named Naomi Way. She, of course, quickly identifies the real victims in the story of male loneliness, women. Naomi says, women end up being the therapist for their husband, and more are getting sick of it. Walsh says, yes, God forbid wives have to listen to their husbands and offer them solace and comfort. They're sick of it, says the masculinity expert Naomi. This is not a conflicting message at all, is it? On one hand, men need to open up more, but on the other hand, if they do open up, then they're putting an unfair burden on their wives who are being asked to do too much emotional labor. Okay, so basically what she's saying is she doesn't want men to be rough around the edges and tough, but at the same time, like, she didn't want, she didn't want no man that's a bitch. That's basically what Naobi's saying here. Okay, then. By the way, women, if you feel like you're sick of hearing about your husband's troubles, just keep in mind that he hears about yours about a thousand times more often. And, hey, that was straight out of Matt Walsh's mouth. No, I'm, just reading, I'm just reading what he said. Meanwhile, a consultant named Mark Green says this. If a boy expresses too much emotion or too much need for connection, is too giddy, is too joyful... What we say to that boy is, what are you, a sissy? What are you, a girl? What are you, gay? It's your job to dominate those around you or you will lose status, and that will increase the number of individuals above you who can dish out dominance to you. And, that, and, that, and what we find is that in that system, in, a, in that structure, men are constantly in competition with each other and constantly driven by this sense of anxiety. The problem with this theory is obvious. If a cowboy mentality and too much macho stoicism is what is driving the epidemic of lost and lonely men, then why is the problem getting worse over time? Bingo. There's more bitch-ass dudes in the world today than has ever been on this planet. But shit for men is getting worse every single, I ain't gonna say every day, every single minute, stuff's getting worse for men. Prospects for men are, are getting less positive. The ceiling is, is lowering. And the floor is lowering as well. Everyone agrees it's worse now than ever before. I just went through some of the many statistics that prove this. There is a major problem. Men are in bad shape. But if that is all getting worse, then how can we blame traditional notions of masculinity? There's no doubt that it is far less common for boys to be called sissies these days or labeled gay as a pejorative than it was 50 years ago or at any other time in human history. Indeed, historically, the push for a man to be strong, dominant, unemotional, and unemotional was much more pronounced than it is today. In fact, if a man do didn't exhibit those traits, then he would die and his whole family would die. It's only in recent times that it's even been feasible, a feasible option for men to be feminine, soft, and in touch with their feelings. And it's also in recent times that men have lost all sense of themselves and their purpose and place in the world. What's he saying there? Who's with me? Who's in charge? What's our mission? That's what he's saying. Speaking of the cowboy mentality, why didn't actual cowboys have these problems? If a cowboy mentality leads to despair and suicide, then we should find a whole hell of a lot of it if we look back at the latter half of the 19th century, which was the era of the cowboy. But we find no such thing. The post-overall thesis can probably be summarized in this sentence from the article. American men's isolation stems in large part from a pervasive cultural belief, experts say, that men should be self-reliant 
and hide their emotions, especially from other men. Except none of that shit is common in today's world. That's not a pervasive cultural belief. You're actually... You're actually silenced. Most people self-censor if they have that feeling. If they think boys should be like this, they hold it back because they don't want the baby mama drama. They don't want the, the woman saying they're being mean to their son or whatever. So they just shut up because they want to get some cat later, try to get some cooter later, a little nookie later. That's, a, but that's another dichotomy we can talk about as well. You tend to get less cooter whenever that happens. The, absurd, the absurdity of the premise could not be any clearer. Would anyone argue that the cultural belief that men should be self-reliant and hide their emotions is more pervasive today than it was half a century ago? Hell no. Of course not. So again, if that is the cause of the problem, why is the problem worse today? The trends are clearly going the other way. The correlation works entirely in the other direction. As society loses traditional notions of masculinity, suicide, suicides increase. This is undeniable. You can try to explain that correlation away all you want, but if you deny it or pretend it doesn't exist, you lose all credibility in this discussion. Now these experts experts are correct that men need fellowship and men are missing it these days. But they even missed the point on that end too because they encourage men to fellowship in the way that women fellowship. Men don't need to sit around and talk about their feelings and all that shit. They don't need to do that. It's actually detrimental to the cause of being a of sound mind man. They tell men to sit around and talk about their feelings and so on, do some yoga, listen to soft music, and hold each other and cry. This is not the kind of fellowship men need or want. Men are rough around the edges. All right. They're a little hateful to each other. They like to josh each other and go on. One thing I tell my football players is, listen, if I, don't, if I ain't gave you a nickname that you kind of don't like, I probably don't like you. I had a mom the other day. I've been calling, I've been calling this, uh, this boy on my team. I've been saying his last name wrong the whole year. All right? And, like, the, it makes the mom so mad. No one, no one told me I was saying it wrong until, like, nine weeks into the season. Well, guess what? At this point, my redneck ass, it's, it's already set in stone. Like, I can't, it just rolls off my tongue now. Well, the mom comes to me, and she's like, that's not how you say his name. Nah. The boy hears it. Once she walks away, he comes over to me, and he goes, hey, hey, coach, I like it when you say my name like that. So, I, I'm, again, I'm not saying it. It's not like a something I'm saying in the shadows. I'm screaming on the football field. I think I say it wrong again at the next practice or something or during one of the games. Again, it's because I'm just so used to it now. Now the dad's coming to me, on, walking out on the football field, saying something to me, and I'm like, listen, bro, your kid said he's fine with it. It's called a term of endearment. If you're not a man's man, I can't help you with that. But I'm, I'm not responsible for teaching, for getting your woman in line and teaching her that, like, dudes deal with things different. So take her woman, her womanly nature and get it off of my damn football field. There's no place for it. We can't expect corporate media's masculinity experts to understand this because their masculinity experts are all effeminate. But any normal man can attest that men tend to bond while engaging in a shared activity, 
Usually one that doesn't require a lot of talking. Sitting and watching the game, fishing, golfing, playing pickup basketball, and so on. I don't even like the sitting and watching, sitting and watching the game bullshit. I think that's, I think that's also part of our problem. We think we deserve time to sit and drink beer and get fat. I think it's stupid. How about football, out roughhousing, beating the shit out of each other, fighting, watching MMA, doing, doing MMA, doing, uh, you know, karate or just some kind of martial art, hunting, going out and killing an actual living thing out in the woods, sticking your arm up in there and dressing that, field dressing that deer with your son or your nephew or if you're, if you're a young buck with your, with your dad or your uncle and feeling that warm blood on your arms and on your hands as you pull it out. Lifting weights, sweating, doing hard shit. Hard times create strong men. We got to stop listening to what these what the women are telling us men need. They don't know what they don't know. I'll give you another example. Those of y'all don't remember the uh, Richie Incognito. Let's think about Richie Incognito was playing offensive line for the Miami Dolphins and got caught saying some terrible stuff about black people calling him N-word and all that stuff. No one could understand why his black teammates and previous black teammates were coming out in his defense. It's because males bond different. Words matter about 80% less or more. It's about action. Were you there for me when I needed you? Did you come through when, when, the, when, when the team needed you? Did you show up every day? Just like, let's think about Morgan Wallen for his little pop culture thing. Got caught saying the N-word. More than once down in, the, down in the hills of eastern Tennessee, northeast Tennessee. And I'm from southeastern Kentucky. We're from like 45 minutes from each other. He dropped the N-word and like his fame exploded. People thought it's because of country music. People are racist. No, it's because other black males that knew him that were in the rap game said, hey, man, tell me what's up. And he, they talked and they, had, they made such a connection that they decided to tour together and do songs together. Think about Lil Durk. Broadway girls. Men are different. I went out fishing with my brother-in-law a few weeks ago. When we came back, my wife asked me what we talked about. I said we really didn't talk about much of anything. Mostly we talked about fishing because they were fishing. She was shocked and confused. Let's think about how many times that you told your wife, hey, somebody such such is pregnant. Oh, really? When'd she do? Hell, I don't know. Is she showing? I don't know. What's the sex? I don't know. I need to ask. Because women don't operate this way. But men and women are not the same. And you cannot hope to help men or offer them any roadmap out of despair if you don't start by acknowledging that basic fact. When it comes to true male fellowship, the problem is that society has closed off many of the opportunities for this kind of fellowship. There are no men's lodges anymore. Few bowling leagues and that sort of thing. Most men's spaces have either been shut down or feminized. It has been decided that men should socialize like women and with women or not at all. This is the message across the board. This is why I'm so hardcore about youth, about youth football. Because football answers the three questions that all young men are asking. And it provides a positive outlet to use that, that, that aggressive nature, that violent nature of young boys to channel in a positive way, to get in the trenches with each other and create some true male bonds.
And what's this, the next thing that's beautiful about football, true male bonds with people that don't look like them. True diversity. It doesn't matter if a black dude and a white dude are in the room, but they, don't, they can't communicate with one another. And as soon as they start talking, they start fighting because they assume the other one's racist. But if you can get ten, a group of 40, 10-year-old ten, boys, 20 of them black, 20 of them white, and you put them to a football season together for five months, they're crying and scratching and clawing and throwing up and cussing and getting in fights, and, but all in a positive environment. Oh, boy. Hey, listen. That's where, that's where true diversity and true growth occurs right there. Society beckons to men and tells them that their salvation is to be women, and then we wonder why so many are killing themselves. We live ultimately in a matriarchal society with institutions either run by women or by effeminate men who in their arrogance simply cannot accept the fact that men are different from women and have different needs and desires. So this is the real problem. It's not that men are too focused on masculinity. It's that masculinity has been neutered, castrated, driven out of society, leaving men feeling lost and without purpose. Our notions of masculinity aren't too traditional. On the contrary, they aren't traditional enough. A freaking men. The solution isn't that we sit around and talk about our feelings. It's that we do a whole lot, a whole lot less of that sort of shit and get back to being men again. And if we can be men in a society that embraces and values our masculinity, suddenly this tide of male loneliness and despair Specifically, what I'm going to drill another, another, another step further, suddenly this tide of white male loneliness and white male despair will start to ebb. That is the solution. There is no other. So to, to, answer, to answer the question of where are the men, specifically, where are the white men? We're going to answer, we're going to answer the question, where are all the black men? In, another, in a subsequent episode coming up. <sighs> the answer is, they're killing themselves. Either all at once with a gun, all at once popping, popping a bunch of pills, or over time, popping them pills and drinking that bottle. That's where the white men are. And they're there because society is telling them all the traditional male things that you are thinking. Everything about you. The fact that when you're in school, we have to tell you to sit down and shut up 100 times a day. Everything you like to do, hunting, fishing, football, anything aggressive, assertive, violent in nature is frowned upon. A desire to want to have like sex with a woman was front was front upon so long that it's pushed everyone off down down into down into porn. So the real problem is this country has raised too many bitch ass dudes. Sorry for the language but it's necessary so that you can understand how serious of a problem this is. And so that you can realize those, that language I just used, 
the real men in this country, that's what we sound like. White men, black men, Hispanic men alike. We all talk like that. We have, even Christian dudes have more coarse, lang have more coarse language than women. So what, what's the answer? How do we get out of this? Well, that would probably be a topic for another discussion. I do think two things in particular have to get, have to be promoted and put back at the center of American life before, and I don't mean like before the, we can get out of this epidemic of fatherlessness. The church has to get its shit together and figure out how to, how to, what, how, what to teach young men in order to raise them up to be successful Christian, spirit, like spiritual-minded fathers and how to teach fathers to instill those values in their sons and we have to embrace many of the sports that this country has started frowning upon and, and we've just commercialized. But and we have to realize tackle football plays a huge role in the masculinization and the answering of the three questions, who's with me, who's in charge, and what's our mission for little boys? I'm going to leave you with that. The next episode, I'll be talking about where the, where, where the black men. Appreciate y'all for listening, and hope y'all have a great uh, Labor Day weekend.